Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 136, recorded on September 22nd, 2021. Take us to your Google Cloud digital leader. Good evening, Peter, Jonathan, and Ryan. How's it going? That's that's a whole different episode right there. Let's, yeah. let's go with great. How are you? Yeah, really. Let's pretend like everybody's not tired today. I'm going to do fantastic with finger guns. That's how I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little bit of hug ops day for you guys yesterday. Yeah. So sorry to hear that. And I uh, hope you get some sleep after the podcast. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll try to get your energy up with some exciting stories for the week. How's that? Sounds good. All right. Well, let's jump into it then to keep uh, Ryan and Jonathan from falling asleep on us. <laughs> uh, F5 is making another acquisition in the cloud space with the $68 million acquisition of ThreatStack, uh, which is a Boston-based cloud monitoring company. Uh, F5 has apparently spent over $2 billion to absorb a variety of cloud and security software companies over the last three years. Uh, ThreatStack offers you know, cloud security posture management type software to monitor, detect, and respond to security and compliance risks, of course, using ML. A core tenant of adaptive applications is their capacity to protect themselves by detecting and mitigating threats in real time. ThreatStack's proactive risk identification and real-time threat detection combines the breadth of F5's application insights and controls with accelerate the delivery of this capability for our customers, quoted directly from the F5 press release. Be curious to hear their hit rate on these. Uh, I think it's awesome, you know, buying small companies with great ideas, which end up just being features in in industry standard products. But you always wonder, you know, what's the hit rate of getting ones and successfully integrating them and adding value to your That's really goal. the key to any acquisition. It's that integration story. Because if you screw that up, uh, everything else you know, doesn't matter. Whatever the deal benefits are, if you can't integrate into your product properly, you can't come up with a strategy of how to sell it to your existing customer base. It's just doomed from the start. Yeah. I mean, it makes me, I, I hope that, you know, the gains insight the other way around too, where ThreadStack gets, you know, more data to train, train the machine learning by broadening their expanse and broadening, you know, their, their user base. I'm not sure. All right, let's move on to AWS stories. Jonathan's just here in the headlights. <laughs> <Deer in it. laughs> Wake up, Jonathan. It's okay. Yeah. It's all right. We're here. It's for over you. now. It's going to be all take, right. Take a sip of that Red Bull. <laughs> all good. All good. <laughs> all right. Amazon has introduced uh, some new capabilities to MSK. Uh, MSK, of course, is the managed Kafka service, which is a well-known real-time streaming data pipeline, uh, which Amazon announces a managed service at reInvent 2018. Uh, Capturing data from devices, change events, website clickstreams are all common use cases. And so Kafka has an open source component called Kafka Connect, which provides a framework for connecting with external systems such as databases, key value stores, search indexes, and file systems. However, uh, setting up Kafka Connect clusters requires a lot of planning and provisioning of required infrastructure uh, to deal with operating the cluster and scaling it to changing your load. And so now AWS is giving the ability to now have a managed MSK Connect cluster. Uh, which basically is them just eliminating the undifferentiated heavy lifting for you, uh, which allows you to configure and deploy a connector using Kafka Connect with a few clicks. MSK Connect provisions required resources and sets up the cluster, and it continuously monitors the health and delivery state of connectors, patches, and manages the hardware and auto-scale connectors to respond to your changing load. Uh, MSK Connect is fully compatible, meaning you can migrate your existing connectors without code changes, and you also don't need an MSK cluster. If you don't want an MSK cluster, you can also connect to uh, just normal Kafka or any Kafka-compatible cluster such uh, for sources and sinks. Uh, pricing is based on MSK Connect units, uh, which each MCU are providing one vCPU and four gigs of memory and costing you about 11 cents per hour. So it's from undifferentiated heavy lifting to undifferentiated heavy spending. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. 
Hey, time is I'm money. Just, and uh, I'm just warming up for the lightning round here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. <laughs> the, those those compute units quickly add up when you've got millions millions of events on a on a in a Kafka topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just a constant feed, right? It's, it's yeah. I mean, being charged at the hour level versus at the transaction level, though, may be okay. It's yeah. better than you know per per transaction that you know pennies <laughs> per you know tenths of pennies, which is even harder to calculate. I do like that they're you know spinning up this as you know you don't even have to have you know MSK. It's it's a fully managed connect service on top of this. That if you just didn't want to do this and you had a big beefy Kafka cluster that you wanted to connect to, you know, say a database or some other sort of producer, it's kind of a neat idea. I like that. I'm just basically lazy and looking for any way that Amazon can do things that I usually have to do for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, it just makes me want to play with Kafka more and more. That's all I know. Like, you know, the idea of connecting it to a SQL database and then using that for, you know, using Kafka as your middle layer for replication versus using a native uh, SQL technology is kind of intriguing to me. You know, just being able to just collect data from IoT devices sounds really cool and being able to queue it at large scale. I mean, I know there's all things you can do with Kinesis, but it's just it's harder, it feels like. Yeah, that's what I'm curious about is the Kinesis versus MSK, if that's even a, a thing. Well, they, they have similar um, origin stories, actually. If you talk to the Kafka team or you talk to the, the Kinesis team, they all talk about, you know, there was four guys at LinkedIn who kind of came up with the idea in the white paper. And then two of them went to Amazon and two of them kind of went off on their own and built Kafka. Uh, and so they have the same like basic tenants under the hood, but they're just different implementations of the idea. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I remember when Kinesis came out and I was bugging the essays at AWS. Is it Kafka under the hood? And they're like, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, when it first came out, Kafka was still early, early days too. Like it was, you know, it was very rough around the edges. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of rough around the edges, let's talk about Redshift. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Amazon is announcing a new command line client for interacting with your Amazon Redshift clusters and databases. Redshift is a fully managed cloud data warehouse and is now offering you the fully featured command line for all your co- command line needs. Uh, it's called RSQL, and it's apparently based on PSQL. So if you know Postgres uh, PSQL, you can use similar commands that you would do in PSQL. Uh, with several Redshift-specific capabilities that have been added for things like describing the database, uh, understanding the Redshift uh, you know, idiosyncrasies, etc. And this tool is now available for you for Linux, Windows, and Mac OS uh, OS X. So does it also do select star from table? Because that's really all I need. Yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> we, can, we can do that for you. Not just drop table. <laughs> can you do some intelligent pruning for me? Sure. Yeah. Drop table. Did anyone scream? No. Yeah, I, yeah. I intelligently pruned it. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's weird to me how many tools now are coming out with, you know, dedicated command line tools. Like, you know, uh, it's just weird. Like, you know, is there a, is there a desperate need for all these kind of utilities out in the market that people just don't want to use the you know the AWS command line tools for their own thing, or you know they don't want to call the APIs natively? They just want a, a command line tool. It's, it's a little weird to me. Do you think that maybe they're gonna uh, Amazon in general is gonna try to move away from a single command line tool for all products and enable those teams to all just sort of do their own thing? Maybe. I mean, I guess from a, a least. You know, from a, a least privileged perspective, it'd be better to have a, a purpose-built tool that does one thing really well, which you need to do, versus, you know, building out this huge AWS CLI you have to install on every server, which is a huge vulnerability if it has the wrong permissions, I guess. That, that's one avenue, I suppose. Yeah, just also thinking that they could push, each product group can push changes more quickly, et cetera. Yeah, 
decentralizes it, right? So because yeah, in order to do that many that many tools that Amazon has and have it run through a single utility is probably pretty impressive that they've done as well as they have. But I bet you it causes friction internally. Makes sense. Well, presumably this also does the same as as uh, the regular uh, PostgreSQL client does as well. I mean, use it to query data as well. So it's just it's that plus the management extension. So I, I assume this is more a tool for big data DBAs more than it is somebody you know somebody who's used to having you know a username and password for a for a database rather than somebody who's got AWS credentials. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's probably just a different audience. And it's an olive branch to that audience too, right? So, all right. Well, let's move on to GCP. So EventArc is now supporting a new cloud storage trigger to receive events from cloud storage. Uh, and for those of you who are playing at home, you're like, but it already did that. And you are correct. Uh, <laughs> as it supported a cloud storage event via the cloud audit logs trigger previously. However, the new cloud storage trigger is better, and it's now the preferred way to receive cloud storage events. Uh, EventArc has three types of triggers that you can use. A PubSub trigger to receive messages from a new or existing PubSub topic, which is really uh, Google's managed Kafka service. Uh, cloud audit log trigger to receive audit logs from 100 plus event sources. And now the cloud storage trigger, which is the new one, to receive events from cloud storage buckets. Using the old method works fine, but had some issues, including uh, requiring you to enable audit logs to be enabled uh, to work. So that apparently people forget that all the time. Uh, latency, uh, as there's a delay between when you save the file and when the audit log will actually get that operation, because uh, typically, you know, CloudTrail and other solutions like that are not real-time. Uh, there's no ability to filter by bucket in the audit log. So you got all the buckets, which now required Ooh. you to uh, basically filter that out in your application, and there was no dual-region or multi-region support. Uh, so the new method, of course, uh, they fixed all those problems, so no audit logs required to wait for, so no latency. Uh, you can filter by bucket, so you can enable it for just a bucket you need it for, uh, and so now you don't need to code this uh, yourself. And it, of course, supports dual region and multi region capabilities, which is pretty great. Yeah, it's kind of funny because, you know, hindsight's 2020, and you're, you read through that and you're like, wow, it was, you had to enable everything and you had to parse everything, and you can hear the, the customer pain points in it. I mean, it's sort of the way the S3 did it the first time, too, right? Like you, you wanted to know when an event, uh, an object got written or updated, you had to go to the CloudTrail log. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's transitioned from this being a feature enabled by hackery uh, of existing data points to sort of a uh, a first-class feature of the product anymore. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like, you know, do you want to get your billing data from a log or do you want to get a billing data from a system that purposely listens for the billing event? And I think the answer is you want the one that purposely listens for the billing event versus, you know, having to parse thousands and thousands or millions of logs to determine billing uh, objects. So. You know, it's a very common pattern where we see this where, you know, the way you used to do it doesn't work when you want to scale to hundreds yep. of millions of events and you now have to be more purpose built. Can I get like a, you know, 100,000 line CSV that's ever changing? Because that's really my preferred method of ingesting my billing data. Mm. Mm, yeah. Two million. I can get that. I, I, I definitely get that for you. <laughs> Millions of lines, not hundreds of thousands. <laughs> <laughs> we wish it was hundreds of thousands. Exactly. <laughs> much, much worse than that. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, 
the promise of cloud delivered. Well, uh, Google Cloud uh, has a new digital training and certification path for, wait for it, guys, the cloud digital leader. Google customers apparently asked for it, and Google has delivered per this press release, announcing the new cloud digital leader learning pathway, their first offering for business professionals, including both training and certification. The Cloud Digital Leader Learning Pathway is designed to scale up individuals and teams that work with technical Google Cloud practitioners so they can contribute to strategic cloud-related business decisions. The Cloud Digital Leader understands and can distinguish not only the various capabilities of the Google Cloud core products and services, but also how they can be used to achieve desired business goals. Uh, you will, If you want to do this pathway, you're going to take some exciting classes like Introduction to Digital Transformation with Google Cloud, Innovating with Data and the Google Cloud, Infrastructure and Application Modernization with Google Cloud, and Understanding Google Cloud Security and Operations. Uh, after you go through those four uh, classes, you can get certified on all things Google Cloud practitioner. So, there you go. Mm. Uh, with, with Google, SaaS is no longer software as a service, it's Shield as a service. <laughs> 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 now, I wonder if the customers are asking for this or whether the risk is really just driving greater adoption or greater exposure to people in, in, the, in the marketplace. You know, people looking for changes of uh, roles or changes of jobs are going to look for qualifications like this to, as, as a way into the industry and, and having it be a very Google-specific certification seems like a really good shoe-in for getting more business. Is it just basically the, cl- the Google version of Cloud Practitioner, AWS Cloud Practitioner? But a business version of it, yep. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, I mean, I do know that customers are asking for this, right? Because it's you. you have one cloud part of your business that's excited about it and has to convince the rest, right? And the first question is, is like, well, how do we learn it? How do we, you know, how do we do these things? And so offering this level of, of training that's not technical based necessarily um, is a good thing, you know, and it's, it, it's, it's the only way that you're going to convince some people that it's a good idea. Well, I think the digital transformation is such a broad thing for so many industries too, right? And like, where is the digital transformation happening? And giving them this cloud knowledge helps them, you know, drive those outcomes from a technical perspective and map the business need to the technical need, which a lot of times as technical people get super excited about the technical needs, but can't correlate it back to the business need. And so, you know, it's helpful for them to get a little bit of language, but as well for you as a technical person to actually learn a little bit about the business and how to, how to translate your technical ideas into business ideas that have value. Yeah, I remember, you know, it just, it doesn't, I thought I developed a super shiny thing that did all the cool things and did it in minutes and I did it with a single command line and, you know, then, you know, in the demo, people are just looking at me like, and <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a, you do have to translate to the business because the business is what's paying for all this. So it does make sense. I like this because like the first thing I thought of immediately was, you know, digital leaders. I got a band leader with like a baton in my head, with a big drum behind him. <laughs> like might be the lack of sleep talking, but I guess the irony is though that I mean that you presumably would want your company to pay for you to go and have this certification or training to begin with. So that somebody must already have made the decision that GCP is the right play before they send you to go and be trained this way. So I mean, maybe it's more about sort of training your army of people to go out and, and spread the uh, the good word kind of thing. Yeah, could be. I, I think anything you can do to help, you know, business leaders get more technical knowledge is helpful. Just like, you know, getting that business knowledge, like I said earlier. I think there's also the, you know, we see it like Amazon training compliance people and how to properly compliance audit cloud. I think that's a big deal. So, mm. you know, again, that's not something you're going to do if you're on Google. You're not going to give them the AWS training for your compliance people, but 
you know, you need to have this capability because everyone needs to grow and, and transition to the cloud native world that we're trying to get build and, and optimize for. All right. Well, my favorite time of the year is the Dora report has been published from Google. Uh, I have not had a chance to read through the full report. I have only been able to skim through the highlights uh, in the press release, but uh, I will be reading it on my, my upcoming vacation because it's good airplane fodder. Uh, the Doha report, uh, of course, leverages four metrics to classify teams as elite, high, medium, or low performers based on their software delivery. And those are typically based on, based on deployment frequency, lead time to changes, mean time to restore, their change fail rate. And historically, they've also reported on availability uh, but this year they have pivoted to reliability, now covering mm -hmm. availability, latency, performance, and scalability to be more broadly represented. Uh, some of the key 2021 insights, of course, COVID uh, had a huge impact, particularly on burnout and focused on healthy team culture mitigating that burnout. And of course, they said elite teams have less uh, culture burnout. So that's a good thing. Uh, high performers continue to improve and raise the bar. So if you read the Dora report two years ago and you're like, yes, I finally achieved that level, I'm sorry, the bar is raised. You are not going to be <laughs> continuing to accelerate and continue to deliver more and more value to the business um, over time. Uh, they found that SRE and DevOps are complementary philosophies, which I thought was interesting because I think they are, uh, but I don't think that's well understood. I think cloud adoption continues to drive performance of many organizations. And then they also found that a secure software supply chain is both essential and drives performance of elite companies. And good documentation is foundational for successfully implementing DevOps capabilities. Jonathan, documentation is central. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things that everyone says, oh, I love, do I always do documentation. So it's like, a, it's, it's like the biggest lie on everyone's resume. I love documentation. I always yeah. document my work. And like, when it comes down to it, it's like, oh, really? I've got to make a story, a separate story for that. Yeah. I've never once heard anyone say I love documentation. <laughs> <laughs> and if and if they did, it's because they weren't very good coders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All I hear is the code documents itself. You can just read through the code. I hear that. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. What do you mean? My code is documented. Just read it. Read the code. <laughs> uh, well, they apparently they've uh, announced a new and this is where the Google Google side of you know, Dora kind of annoys me a little bit there. Apparently uh, announcing a new DevOps award, uh, which will recognize Google Cloud customers that have improved their deployment frequency, successfully shifted left on security, or improved their change failure rate. And you can enter your submissions now. Uh, I mean, yeah, it sounds like, that you know, sucks. it sounds like good, uh, you know, award show fodder for potentially Google Cloud Next. But, you know, like, don't don't money down the Dora report with that. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. Keep that out of the Dora. The Dora report has a ton of value outside of Google Cloud. Don't make it don't make it this weird elitist sort of like special thing. Yeah. So hopefully that isn't a trend of, a, you know, a sign of trends to come. But, uh, you know, if it's just something kind of adjacent to it, I'm okay. But again, keep it away from my Dora report, please. Well, guys, I have Azure stories. Really? That aren't security related. Excellent. Ooh, how about <laughs> reliability related? Uh, nothing, nothing really about that either. So look at that. Uh, you know, features, actual premium, features. Though? It's a good week. Are they premium stories? They're uh, no, no premium features. I don't think. <laughs> uh, but you know, depending on how you feel about SQL Server, maybe it's a premium feature. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, so first up is uh, the general availability uh, updates for mid September 2021. So what what Azure likes to do is they like to couple all of their announcements and they like to dump them into a, one article. And then you read this article and you're like, none of that is worthy of a full article, which is why they did it. Uh, but there was one in there. And I was like, it's kind of cool. They've uh, apparently announced a Azure SQL managed instances are now available under the Azure resource and Terraform registry, which makes infrastructure easier to deploy, which is always a great thing. So cool. you can now make your SQL managed instance with a simple Terraform module in the Terraform registry from Azure, which I appreciate. So there you go. Mm -hmm. Falls into my 
my category of someone else doing something for me, I approve. Yes, exactly. And if it gives you all the options and all the capabilities, like, hey, I mm-hmm. want a cluster, I want these things, it's going to set that up automatically for me. That's super cool. Yeah, well, because the next step is, is why doesn't it do that special little pretty princess thing that, of course, I want? And that better be an input variable. But Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but going into a little bit more interesting stuff, uh, there's a new scale down mode in AKS, uh, which, you know, if you're, like when I first saw this headline, I was like, well, but AKS already scaled down. I don't understand. Uh, but now it allows you to select if they would like their nodes to be deleted or deallocated when scaled down. And so when a node is deallocated, the attached storage as well as the container images are still present on the node. And so when scaling up your deployments in the future, all deallocated nodes will start first before provisioning new nodes in your cluster. Uh, this will allow for faster operating, operating speeds as your deployment leverages cached uh, images, although they may be out of date if you have any real reasonable CD process for your containers. And this benefits you as a lo- you no longer have to pre-provision modes and pre-pull container images in your build pipeline. That's kind of wild. Especially if you're scaling up and down like daily, weekly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Help a lot. Yeah, but we're talking about Windows container images here, which are like twelve gig minimum kind of thing. They have to build. They have to build machine images with the containers on them locally. There's, there's no repository in the world is going to support scaling up hundreds of twelve gig images. <laughs> I mean, AKS is, is more than just Windows, Jonathan. But yes, you're right. <laughs> there are definitely some Windows images in this mix. I'm sure. Uh, uh, I, I do like the idea. But it'd be nice if it, you know, also, you know, just. Check the cache, and once the cache is expired on the images, then kill the node. That way, you don't waste your time trying to bring up the you know, thinking you're getting a thing when you're not. That's my only, my only uh, you know benefit I would like to have added to this. Uh, next up is the general availability of the AKS run command. Uh, this command allows you to remotely invoke commands in an AKS cluster through the AKS API, and this feature allows you to execute just-in-time commands from a remote laptop not attached to your network for no. a cluster. This greatly assists with quick just-in-time access to a private cluster when the client is not on the cluster private network while still retaining and enforcing full RBAC controls and private API servers. Uh, and all I can say, guys, is if you're getting into zero trust, protect your end users because they're going to be they're <laughs> yes. going to screw you somehow. What could go wrong? Yeah, ye of little faith. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, like you have all these security barriers, and you're like, I'm going to give you an API to just bypass all of that. No, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I mean, SSM is the same thing, so <laughs> I can't I can't complain too much. Uh, Azure VMware Solution has achieved FedRAMP high authorization, just showing you that the government has a lot of VMware <laughs> and would yeah. like to not actually move to the cloud properly <laughs> with a Jedi contract. And so, uh, yeah, they can now move their VMware images right on over to the Azure Cloud VMware Solution with their FedRAMP high certification. Wait, that last story was that seriously a news a news release for API management of a service, a, a cloud based service? It, well, I mean, it's a CLI did, tool did, called AKS Run that you can run on your laptop <laughs> to violate, you know, that calls the API to do a thing. Yeah, it was. Re- I told you I was scraping the bottom of the barrel. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I thought I was, I was like, did I miss something? I was deep in thought for a second. They're like, no, no, it really is just an API to manage their service. I'm like, oh, God's sake. And okay, the API already right. exists. It's just a CLI that makes it easier to use the API <laughs> that already existed. Well, who, who else can figure out SOAP calls? You know, gotta love Microsoft. Oh, soap calls, Jesus. <laughs> it was the future back in 2000. <laughs> and that's why that's why we took 10 years to get to actual microservices architectures because of Microsoft. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. 
Uh, well, Oracle consistent snapshots using Azure VM backup are now a thing. Uh, Azure backup now provides a prepackaged pre pre and post scripts to QS and unfreeze the Oracle database and thus converts the file consistent backups to database consistent snapshots. These pre and post scripts are now generally available and completely owned and maintained by Azure backup. Uh, the database consistent snapshots are incidentally recoverable by Oracle and verifiable via RMAN, which, Oof. man, could you imagine this feature under the Balmer era? Oof. This would never have happened. Oh. There's a there's a ton of potential savings here, especially if you're using things like DataGuard uh, for this purpose, which will you know it's a big license cost on top of your Oracle database, uh, and you also potentially won't have to use that I/O expensive things like data pumps or maybe even ultra premium storage uh, with this feature. So those all may be good benefits to you, and definitely something to check out if you're running Oracle on Azure. Uh, unfortunately for you, sorry, I apologize for your losses. I was going to say my favorite thing about this story is I don't actually understand half of what you just said. Because I, I don't, I've never had this use case. I will never have this use case. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, SQL Server has this use case, and MySQL does too. I mean, I, most databases have a need to QS the data that's in memory to disk, so you can actually take a snapshot that's recoverable and mm-hmm. asset compliant. And this is basically these are asset compliant snapshots of Oracle databases. Yeah. No, I mean, I get it. The, the but then there's a lot of other stuff. Oh yeah, well, data guard, yeah, yeah. an R man. <laughs> That's true. If you're not, if you haven't done Oracle ever, you don't know what either of those are. But you know, data guard is actually one of those. It's actually like a magic service from Oracle. Like it does magical things. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Whenever I hear magic, I hear abstraction. Whenever I hear abstraction, I I hear that no one knows how that actually works. And if it ever goes wrong, you are boned. So in the Oracle world, magic it just means money. So to be clear, there's no. <laughs> it, it's it, you can do everything that Data Guard does yourself with scripting, and it just takes a lot of work and effort. Data Guard just gives you all that out of the box; you don't have to think about it. But it, oh. if you, you know, it's all just basically automating the scripting you would have done manually. So that's why you paid Oracle DBAs a whole lot of money, because you either paid them a whole lot of money or you paid Oracle a whole lot of money. You had to choose. Oh, I'm I'm all for paying someone money. That's fine. Yes. N- now it has my I think, vote. I think we need a uh, we need a. Superhero named Harman. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was an Oracle ad campaign at one time where Harman was a superhero in some of the documentation. <laughs> so yes, uh, would he be a part of the Data Guard, or would it be like you know maybe the data the leader? Harman is separate from Data Guard. Data no, Guard I understand. Is, I'm just yeah. you know in the superhero context. This is oh, like Harman yeah. and the yeah. Data Guard. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So I I know all this about Oracle because uh, when I was early, a wee a wee lad system engineer and I. I took an Oracle class <laughs> thinking I wanted to be an Oracle DBA because I got paid a lot of money. And then I realized that sucks and I went into networking and engineering. And now I'm a cloud infrastructure guru all because of Oracle uh, 8i back in 2002. <laughs> so there you go. But I do, I do remember some of the stuff because it was cool. But uh, and it's still cool today. For listeners of the Cloud Pod, you know that I have no love for Microsoft Active Directory, which is why I'm excited to tell you about the leading cloud directory platform, JumpCloud. JumpCloud makes it easy to solve today's IT challenges by unifying device and user management through a single pane of glass, enabling you to securely manage your users and devices and perform common tasks like onboarding and offboarding remote workers. With JumpCloud, you no longer need to implement an on-premise Active Directory infrastructure or additional tooling to scope a user's access, and you can ensure that the user is coming from trusted devices and networks. Enabling JumpCloud's zero-trust solutions improves the security and compliance of your network, ensuring users have access only to the services they need when they need them. To start your organization's move to a modern, secure hybrid work model, try JumpCloud for free today at cloud.jumpcloud.com slash thecloudpod. That's cloud.jumpcloud.com slash thecloudpod.
Well, that is it for the new news. Uh, Peter, will you take us to the lightning round? I would love to. Uh, if you have an itch to do so, you can now extract custom entities from documents in their native format with Amazon Comprehend. I still won't comprehend any of it, but I'll take it. Dang. The last time I extracted custom entities, I did end up with an itch. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> winner. Winner. Should we just quit? Should we just stop? The Amazon CloudWatch application insights adds account application, auto discovery, and new health dashboard. Uh, you know, what, how do they auto discover anything? Like, it's, I don't, it's an API outside of all of my applications. Makes no sense. It's, you know, it's automatically discovering insights into my application. So I could go. But it to knows the, nothing about. Yeah. It knows like, nothing. Yeah. It'd be fine. It's all good. Yeah. Trust, trust the data. Trust it. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Amazon RDS now supports both X2G and T4G instances for. MySQL, MariaDB, and Postgres. I mean, it's so rare to have a, an announcement that crosses two extremes of the computing world. The companies that like to burn money and the companies who are cheap as hell who don't want to spend any money. And it crosses True. both needs. It's, it's a great announcement right there. The two edges. I yeah. like it. Expanding yeah. on both ends. Well, AWS Service Management Connector for ServiceNow supports AWS Service Catalog App Registry. What do you think about that? Ugh, everything about this I hate. I hate <laughs> I hate everything. I hate ServiceNow. I hate Service Catalog. I hate App Registry. I, I hope to never use this service. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just going to fire off ServiceNow tickets to just generate a whole bunch of infrastructure that I never use. Yep. Thanks. Love to see you try and turn it off, too. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a separate ticket for that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you'll never find the right queue. Never. AWS RoboMaker now supports container images in simulation. I mean, are we already in simulation? Like, it's, it's all simulation everywhere. Green pill, red pill, blue pill? Did you, oh, Matrix 4. You see the trailer? It's coming. Ooh, no, I can't wait. I know. So I'm excited. You said, you said red, pill, red pill, blue pill. I'm, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they filmed here in San Francisco, I think. They did? They did? Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, AWS announces general availability of the Amazon GameLift plugin and AWS CloudFormation templates for Unity. Four years in, still don't know what GameLift is. Don't know, <laughs> haven't cared. I have no idea what this is, but someone must care. I think if you make video games, this is very cool. But if you don't make video games... I mean, find me the company that has used Amazon GameLift for their, for their, you know, their launch and... I would love to talk to them on the on the TCP talks. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Actually, I take it all back. If you make video games, you don't care about any of this. If you have to support the guy who makes video games or girl, yeah, yeah then maybe you care about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when it first came out, I, I remember there's a lot of flack about Game Lift and a bunch of Amazon's gaming stuff that they were unimpressed with. So hopefully, they fixed it. I, I just don't know. It's not my space. I'm kind of assuming that that Amazon were planning on working on streaming services, streaming game services, and things, which maybe didn't take off. And so well, I mean, it's uh, been such a great effective thing for Google Stadia. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why would you not continue down that path? Didn't they announce like a whole virtual video game and world and MMO? Yeah, they have a, they have an MMO coming out soon. Yeah. New World, I think, is what it's called. But yeah, that's that's an actual video game that does, I'm sure it does use game of technology. Yeah. But I I don't know anything about it other than that. Speaking of lightning round, <laughs> Amazon Connect Chat now supports passing a customer display name and contact attributes 
through the chat user interface. Which makes me wonder, were the agents just chatting with blobs that they didn't know who they were? Like, just like, it's chat user one, chat user two. And they're like, I really wish I knew this was Jonathan chatting with me because... Well, yeah, the agents all think that we're called Steve, too. Steve, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, of the, all of the chats are with Jeff, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> so the, to drive productivity. Like, Jeff's, Jeff's texting me, Jeff's messaging me. <laughs> Amazon Detect supports S3 and DNS finding types, adds finding details. So DNS is covered. It just needs to add, you know, the network, and then we now know where all the outages came from. Yes. I do like that there's an announcement for the detective tool for forensic investigation that it adds details. Thanks, Amazon. Yeah, that's nice. It would be important to have. Uh, did I just totally screw that up? You said detect instead of detective, but I think we'll be okay. Okay. Wow. Okay. So moving on. Um, Speaking of logging, I around. guess you can now <laughs> optimize Waze ad delivery using TensorFlow over Google Vertex AI. Yeah. So uh, you know, I, I really wanted good use cases for how to use Vertex AI and really cool solutions. And so Google gave me this case study of how to make ad delivery better. Thanks. That's not what I wanted. <laughs> Yeah. And how many more ads for Burger King can they pop up on my map and I'm using Waze though? That's oh, no. Uh, you know, it's funny. They always ask, they, send, they post up a little survey like, did you see an ad for this like three days ago? And I'm like, nope, never nope. saw that ad. <laughs> so I, 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 I just keep telling them no, even if I've seen the ad now, just I think it's funny. So now I'm just messing up Vertex AI <laughs> all the way down. I did throw my phone out the window when I was at the last red light, but no, I didn't see that. Azure Monitor Agent and Data Collection Rules now support Windows Server 2022. An announcement from the future. So the, future. <laughs> the future. The <laughs> future. Please don't be using Windows Server 22 uh, in production right now that you actually care about this announcement, but which is my only tip. It was it's already passive. got a ton of vulnerabilities. You know it does. Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, and it probably is using that OMI garbage too. So, oh my God, <laughs> patch that too. <laughs> and that's it. Winner, Ryan. Yes. Nice. Even even half exhausted, he pulled. I know. I, I think I do better when I'm I'm only half here somehow. This <laughs> is not I mean, a good thing. <laughs> it explains the heavy drug usage and things. No, it does. Saying. It does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, things are coming up quickly here. Uh, next up is SNCConf, October fifth through the seventh, which is a virtual conference and free. Uh, KubeCon is after that, October eleventh through fifteenth, and check that out. And then Google Cloud next, October twelfth through the fourteenth. How do you guys feel about predictions for that? I'm kind of over predictions because it's been such a bust since COVID. I think instead of predictions, because then we all start doing this thing where you try to make it like super generic to try to win. Mm-hmm. I think what we should do is wish lists. Yeah. And then just see if they end up getting, if the wish list stuff comes true. Yeah. I'm, or I'm when it comes that. true, right? We could have like a running list. Yeah, I agree. I like that because I did sort of deviate strategy to try to figure out what they would do in the prediction just because mm-hmm. I'm super literal and don't have any creative like thought other than that. And so like I like the idea of going back to the wish list idea. That's where we started. That's kind of yeah. tough because we don't really work a great deal in the Google ecosystem. So, I mean, what we have to go on is... Rumor mill and general stuff. General yeah. trends in the media and the announcements they've made so far this year. We get to compare them against AWS or Azure, you know, not that yeah. they've ever been ahead of anybody, but... Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that offline because I... Or if our listeners have a good idea, I'm open to that too. Mm-hmm. 
Now let's make them listen to us debate about it for another 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think we've tortured our audience enough? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You think they listen to this point in the show? God, I hope not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you listen to the full debate, you can sign up for our Patreon for only five. (laughs) Yeah, really? You get the the bootleg version of the show. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you really hate yourself, it's only going to cost you $10 a month. Uh, all right. I, I forgot what else is coming up. It's all too far in the future. Anyways, no, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just going to move on from there. Oh, I did. Oh, I did have a new one this week. Uh, Microsoft Ignite uh, is coming up November 2nd through the 4th, which I didn't know about. And the only reason I found out was because I was, I was desperately trying to find Microsoft stores. So I was, <laughs> I was searching through a lot of Microsoft dirty holes on their website and, uh, and you know, I found it. I was like, oh, it's coming up November 4th. So there you go. But that's all I got. All right. Well, that's it for another fantastic week in the cloud. Have a great one, you guys. Get some sleep. Yeah. See you later. Good night. <laughs> Bye, everybody. And that is the week in the cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Jump Cloud. Check out our website, the home of the Cloud Pod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag thecloudpod. Cloud Pod.